Okay, thank you so much, singers, for singing for us, and Lisa for playing also. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10, and thank Peter for reading for us. Jesus saves. Isn't that good? I'm so glad that we can be gathered together today because Jesus saves. And if you're here this morning and you know him as your saviour, you can sing hallelujah. You might not be able to sing as well as the singers, but you can sing in your heart hallelujah. Before we start the message this morning, I just want to uh, honour two special people this morning and I just want to honour Trish and Daryl this morning. It's their 38th wedding anniversary two days ago. And uh, Trish, I want to honour you because of your testimony amongst us the last five years. It's been very special and uh, choked up. (laughs) Yep. Daryl, we want to honour you too for the way you've looked after Trish. And we've seen it. As a church, we've watched you, watched you both. And we just want to give glory to God for what he's done, bringing you, you know, another day, another another week, another month. We've had five years extra than what we thought we'd have with you, Trish. And we just want to honour the Lord, but honour you for the way that you've stood up. And you've always been here when you could. And you've never shrunk away from helping anybody that's come to seek your help and your counsel. And we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you to the Lord, but thank you to you. And again, Daryl, thank you to you. Would you join with me in just praying and thanking the Lord again for Trisha's life, especially this morning. Heavenly Father, we just come to you as a church and just With thankful hearts, we uh, give you thanks for Trish and for Daryl. Thank you, Lord, for giving them 38 years special together, 40 years since they met. And, uh, Lord, we just want to honour them this morning and and we want to say thank you to you for your good hand upon them and for uh, giving them these years. Lord, for sustaining them over the last five to six years and the grace that you've given them, but the Lord, the grace that you've given us as a church also in being able to witness how Trish has handled it, how she's stood and how she's walked and how she's always been here at church when she could have easily said, I can't be there. But Lord, she's been a great encouragement to us as a people and Lord, we pray that we would learn from it. And we would want to be like Trish and we would want to be like Daryl and walk in your faith, walk in your way. Father, we thank you. Just pray for your help now as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Mark chapter 10. I'm going to speak this morning a little bit about emotions. Quite emotional right now, aren't we? Or I am. I know Daryl and Trish are very emotional, and that's good. Emotions are just part of our everyday life, aren't they? And as we look at our passage here, we 
we see the, the disciples. Emotions come out. And the more I read this passage, the more emotions I see. Um, even starts back, you know, before the reading that Peter read for us, um, back up into oh, when the, you know, the rich man came to Jesus in verse 17 and says, and when he was gone forth into the way, in verse 17, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do? that I may inherit eternal life. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honour thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him, Loved him. There's emotion, isn't it? Jesus loved him. Said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatever thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad. There's emotion. He was sad at that saying, And went away grieved, more emotion, for he had great possessions. And then as, uh, you know, the next verses there, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. So we've just witnessed a man leave Jesus because he had great riches and, and he was sad that Jesus should talk to him such, you know. Brethren, as you enter into it this morning with me, I want you to sort of try and put yourself in the place, you know. Put yourself in the place of other people and feel their emotion and think, hey, I feel those same things too. And you'll see here that there was times where people do not understand God. These men didn't, this man didn't understand God. And uh, he, he rejected the emotion of God here in loving him and he went away sad and grieved. Why? Because he was trusting in his riches. Jesus explained that to the disciples. As he explained that to them in the, you know, the next verses, verse 23 on, and he said to them, how hardly in verse 23 shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were all ears and what? I mean, they know that everybody wants to be in the kingdom of God. This rich man certainly did, didn't he? They know that all Israel wants to be in the kingdom of God. And they know that there's many rich people in Israel. In fact, as Peter brings out in a little bit, you know, we don't know how rich the disciples were, worldly wise, worldly speaking, but... They weren't men of poverty, were they? Like Peter and Andrew and James and John were fishermen. Now, again, I don't know how wealthy they were as fishermen, but they weren't in poverty. They walked away from their boats and uh, when Jesus called them and, and, and left them, it says, with, the, with their father and with the hired servants. So they were wealthy enough to hire servants to help them and 
And I don't think they were in poverty by any means as fishermen. Matthew, the tax collector, well, I don't think he was a man of poverty either. And you could, we could probably go through the list and I don't think any of them were in great poverty. So as they heard the words of Jesus, they were thinking, what? What are you talking about? And look at the emotion that they just demonstrated in verse 24 and the disciples were astonished, astonished. And the word astonished there just means amazed, amazed. Emotions spilling out, you know. As they hear the words of Jesus, they think, what? What are you talking about? How can these things be? But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches? Aha. There's more, you know, of the clue here. It's not just riches, it's trusting in riches and That is certainly what the young ruler, the rich young ruler was doing, wasn't he? And demonstrating he was trusting in his riches. And Jesus points it out to them, how hard it is for them to trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And then he sort of says something even more astonishing, astounding. And uh, he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, that just blew them away. They were astonished before, but now look what it says. It says they were astonished out of measure. Like they were blown apart. (laughs) Their brains could not hold that in. I mean, you can't stick a camel through the eye of a needle. Now, I know there's all sorts of talk about, well, this they're talking about the, the needle gate going into Jerusalem or the gate that looks like a needle and... And you can actually manage, if you're really skilled, to get a camel to stoop down and wiggle through that gate. And there's all sorts of explanations about that. But frankly, you know, it's, it's impossible, isn't it, to get a camel through the eye of a needle. Jesus said, and they were astonished. Astonished, not only amazed, but out of measure. And the word out of measure if I can just find it, means uh, uh, superabundantly or exceedingly out of measure. So it's sort of, yeah, blown apart. Blow your brains. They were astonished. Well, who then can be saved? And I guess they were thinking, because look at Peter's next reaction. Peter began to say unto him, Lo, Lord, don't you realise that something's sort of not adding up here? We left all. I I left my dad. (coughs) I left the boat. I left the fish. In fact, the day you called us, do you sort of remember you? We fished all night and caught nothing. At your word, we let down the net and we caught a net full. We filled two boats up. You called us. We left the fish. We left dad, we left the hired servants, we left the boats, we left everything. Lord, how can you say it's impossible for a rich man? Well, praise the Lord, Peter and James and John and Andrew didn't trust in their riches. They had times of swinging back and forwards. You know, they went back fishing 
a time or two, but they didn't trust in their riches. That's the difference. But it blew them out of the, you know, blew their brains apart for a while. And, and uh, But look, look, you know, Je- Jesus keeps astounding, doesn't he? You know, when he answered them and, and he said uh, in verse 29, Verily, I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands. I mean, he's saying there's no rich person. If you have any of those things, you're rich. In fact, if we have breath in our lungs, we're rich, aren't we? But he says, you know, you can have all these things, but if you leave them, if you leave them for my sake and the Gospels, the end of verse 29, he says, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time. While you're still here on this earth. You'll receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands. Then he gives a caveat. With persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. He sort of quickly tells them, listen, you've left all, yes. But don't you realise you've gained so much? You've gained families. You've gained extra children, sisters, mothers, brothers, fathers. And it does come with persecutions. But in the world to come, you shall have eternal life. But, and he says another astounding thing. But many that are first shall be last. And the last, first. I tell you what, you know. We often look at the disciples and we think, well, why didn't they sort of, you know, why didn't they get it more than they did? Like, they walked with Jesus. They heard his words and he explained things to them over and over again. But they struggled to understand it. And then it goes on in verse 32 and... uh, They were in the way going up to Jerusalem. They hadn't actually got to Jericho at this point, but they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. We're not going to sort of go into the fact that they went through Jericho, but then then comes the last leg up to Jerusalem. So they're somewhere just before Jericho at this point and and, uh, they're in the way going up to Jerusalem and it simply says to us that, that Jesus went before them. Now, I don't know what it was about the fact that Jesus went before them but it says, and they were amazed. Now, was it, was it perhaps unordinary or out of the ordinary for Jesus to go before them? I don't know. But he had spoken to them before, starting back in about chapter 9. He, he began to speak to them, and, or chapter 8, I think, um, began to speak to them about the fact that he was going to be crucified. But they didn't really hear it. And he spoke to them at least three times before this point. And it says that, uh, uh, that he began, he took them again in verse 32 and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. They shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him and the third day he shall rise again. Were they amazed at that? 
that he was saying to them? Or were they amazed at something else? Well, I don't know. I can't answer. You know, uh, probably Jesus was always amazing them. But for some reason at this point, it tells us here in the scripture, uh, they were going on the way up to Jerusalem and they were amazed. The disciples were amazed. They were astounded. It's the same word as astonished back uh, earlier in the, in the chapter. And it, just, and it means to stupefy, like to addle the brain, you know. And, uh, and, and yeah, amazed, astonished. Uh, it all sort of wraps together as, as similar. As they were followed and, and they were afraid. Why? Like I said, he'd already begun speaking to them, had spoken to them about the fact of his crucifixion. Was he here striding out in front of them? And they were thinking, why? You know, why is he in such a hurry to get to Jerusalem? Why when there's danger ahead, you know? Maybe that was the amazement. I don't know. They were also afraid. Were they afraid of what was coming? Perhaps. You and I would have been, wouldn't we? Amazed and afraid altogether. What I'm really wanting to come to this morning is verse 35. We've seen emotions demonstrated in this chapter. Astonishment, astonished out of measure. We've seen amazement. We've seen fear. And you and I know what all those emotions are like. We feel them. You might feel that way about the world at the moment. Amazed at things that are happening. Afraid of the future. Whatever. You might be amazed at things in your family. You might be afraid of things in your family. There's, there's amazement and, and fear all the time in our lives. But still, Jesus sort of, you know, he, he wants us just to walk with him, doesn't he? He had the disciples with him and he just wanted them to be with him. He wanted them to walk with him. He wanted them to see. He wanted them to learn. He wanted them to be prepared for the future. All things that you and I need. Verse 35 sort of amazes me. You know, the, the boldness, you might say, the, uh, the um, yeah, the... Arrogance, perhaps, of James and John. You know, they'd felt all these emotions. They, they didn't really sort of grasp the fact of Jesus being crucified. They really wanted the kingdom now. You know, they wanted him to <coughs> defeat the Romans and, and set up the kingdom now. And that's really what they had in mind. That's what they thought was going to happen. And they were ready for that, but they weren't ready for this. Crucifixion. Suffering, rising the third day, wasn't in their picture at all and it wasn't in their thoughts at all and they didn't, certainly did not want that. Peter had rebuked Jesus for speaking about that back in chapter 8 or 9 and uh, Jesus had said to him, get thee behind me, Satan, remember that? So here, you know, they're, they're heading to Jerusalem, they're amazed, they're afraid, the temerity of, of James and John to come to Jesus and say, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. In other words, Master, 
we've got a request and don't you dare say no. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever do that to the Lord? Master, we've got a request and don't say no. Kind of rude, isn't it? Kind of arrogant. But you know, it's interesting, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for asking. And he doesn't rebuke us for asking sometimes silly things, does he? But he perhaps teaches through it. He'll teach us and go on. I mean, our kids, when, we're young, when they're young, they, they ask us as parents some silly things at times, don't they? And they grow. We, we're patient with them. We're gracious to them. And God is gracious with the disciples here. Remember, this is God in the flesh talking with men. These two disciples, James and John, I mean, these, these two are, are men that had been close to Jesus. They were in the inner three, you know, the close three, Peter, James and John. They had not long witnessed Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, transfigured before them. And there on the mountain, he's speaking with Elias and Moses, it says in, I think it's in Matthew, we won't go there now, but, but uh, it doesn't say it here in, in Mark in chapter 9, but uh, it just says that Mo- Moses and Elias were there. But in one of the other Gospels, it says that he was there and they were speaking to him about his decease that he should accomplish at Jerusalem. James and John were there. They saw that. They heard that. They heard those words. And yet they didn't understand it. I didn't understand what was happening. But somehow they got to this point where they thought, it's time, James. They'd obviously colluded together and spoken together about this request that they were going to ask the Lord. And they went up to him and they said, it's time to ask. They even had their mother with them. It's recorded in Luke, I think, that Salome was with them and and she asked on their behalf or they asked together. And... uh, They ask this request and say, Master, we have a request and don't say no. Well, what is it? Jesus asked. They sit under him, grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. What a request. Like, can we have the two best spots next to you in your kingdom, in your glory. We saw you on the mountain alongside of Moses and Elias and we liked what we saw. (laughs) We saw a little bit of your glory, future glory, and we liked it and we want to be next to you. What brought them to this point? What brought them to this request? What gave them that... uh, boldness to ask such a thing we are told aren't we to enter boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need we're told to come to Jesus boldly I just give you a couple of reasons why I think that they came to this point of asking boldly Uh, Matthew 7 they'd heard Jesus speak at the Sermon on the Mount they'd heard him say you know uh, in Matthew 7, 7, uh, what's it say? Ask, 
and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. Well, James, uh, yes, John, uh, we need to ask. You don't get anything unless you ask in this world. Yeah. They may be, because, you know, they'd heard Jesus speak about mountains before. They just came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Just flick with me to uh, uh, Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Matthew 17 and verse uh, 19. I'm having trouble with my glasses this morning. I just can't get them to stay on my head. So uh, forgive me if you see, see me poking at them all the time. All right, Matthew chapter 17 and verse uh, 18. Uh, they'd come down off the mountain and, and uh, the disciples couldn't cast out the demon out of the boy, remember? And verse 18, Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. Verse 20, or no, verse 19, then came the disciples to Jesus and said, why couldn't we cast him out? They tried. Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. He says, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence, and uh, it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. You know, here, I mean, the mountain here is, is the demon in the boy, isn't it? A mountain's not always a physical mountain. A mountain can be sickness. A mountain can be any issue in our lives. And uh, so here he calls this, this demon a mountain. He says, listen, you just, you just didn't have the faith, unbelief. And then he went on to tell them, you know, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And then later on, uh, if you come back to Mark, and in Mark chapter 11, so this is after the point where they've asked him uh, for these, these seats next to him, but in uh, chapter 11, he speaks about a mountain again. Chapter 11 and verse 23. So Mark 11, 23. And uh, this is the, the, the incident of the fig tree dried up. So this is just before Jesus' crucifixion. And uh, they, they walked by the fig tree and Jesus cursed the fig tree because it didn't have any figs on it that day. And the next day they come and they found it withered. And gone, and, and Jesus answering saith unto them in verse 22, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Peter and James and John, or James and John had heard Jesus speaking things like this. You know, did they perhaps think, well, you know, there's a mountain in our way and we want it removed. There's the mountain of opportunity. We want it to come our way. Did they think that? Maybe they thought, you know, they knew Caleb, the story of Caleb. Caleb in, uh, in Numbers and Caleb in, in Joshua. Caleb comes to Joshua in, uh, in Joshua chapter 14 and verse 12 and and Caleb says he'd waited 40 years for this mountain. He said, give me this mountain. 
These boys knew the story of Caleb. They were were Israelites. They knew Caleb had received the mountain of Hebron and uh, the cities there of Hebron. Uh, He'd waited patiently for 40 years for his mountain. So sometimes we want mountains removed. Other times we want mountains to come to us. Well, they wanted this mountain for themselves, didn't they? James, John, it's time to ask. So they asked. I want you to come with me to Psalms, Psalm 37. This is another uh, verse that maybe they had read a, a bit and they, uh, they'd memorised this verse and uh, maybe they'd sort of taken it to heart and maybe they'd read it the wrong way too. Maybe they'd interpret it the wrong way. But look what it says in Psalm 37 and verse uh, 4. I've got to bend these glasses again. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Lord, we have a desire, and don't say no. Ah, Lord says in Psalm 37, delight thyself in the Lord. Lord, we've followed you for three years. We've delighted in you for three years. We love you. Uh, Lord, we've got a desire. And Salome had this desire too. And she went with her boys and they approached Jesus and said, we've got a request. And Lord, don't say no. Ah, What's your request? Well, we have a desire... And we want to sit next to you in your kingdom. Well, I'm amazed at Jesus' reaction to them and his, uh, his patience with them. Isn't the Lord good? And he's patient with you and me. Oh, he's good to us. The Lord said, you know not what you ask. You know not what you ask. Brethren, if you do, we delight in the Lord, and I hope we all do here this morning, it doesn't mean you can just go and ask him for anything. It doesn't mean that you can ask him for a Lamborghini with polka dots. It doesn't mean that you can just demand that he heal your mother or your brother. Take away this mountain, particular mountain. Doesn't mean that we can just say, well, I have a desire. Give it to me, Lord. Nothing short of arrogance. Nothing short of misunderstanding. It's more the case of delight thyself in the Lord and he, the Lord, shall plant his desires in your heart. And perhaps we ought to ask, Lord, would you plant your desires in, your heart, in my heart and help me to walk in them and help me to ask you the right things? I think that's the way it goes. But anyway, they came to him and said, Lord, give me this mountain and don't say no. 
you know not what you ask. Brethren, as we go into 2018, we know not what's ahead of us. The disciples headed up to Jerusalem and they didn't know what was ahead of them. They didn't know that Jesus was going to be crucified. They'd heard him speak about it, but they didn't understand it. As we head into 2018, you know there's things ahead of us that we, we, we don't really understand. But folks, we can walk with God and let him understand it. Let him work it out for us. Let him take our hand and guide us through it. And not be, what do I say, offended when it all goes pear-shaped. Not be offended when Jesus says no. Or I can't give you that. You know, I've walked in circles in the past where, where uh, you know, disciples of God, believers of God have said, look, you've just got to visualise whatever you want. Visualise it. Concentrate upon those visualisations in your mind and ask God for it and he's got to give it to you. If you want a Lamborghini with polka dots, just think about it long enough, hard enough and say, God... I have a desire for that Lamborghini with polka dots. You've got to give it to me. Brethren, that's total arrogance, total misappropriation of the word of God. We've got to walk in the middle of the, the, the doctrines of God, not go uh, you know, way off the side. James says in James chapter 1, you ask, but you ask amiss to consume it upon your own lusts. You ask and you don't have. And then you ask amiss that you can make consume it upon your own lusts. Brethren, we need our hearts in tune with God, not in, hearts, in with our own hearts. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You say, how can you say that to me, Brother Robin? I'm a good guy. I'm a good lady. Yeah, you're good in my eyes. But God tells us that our hearts are wicked, deceitful above all else, and desperately wicked. Even though James and John had walked with Jesus for three years, walked with him, heard his voice, God in the flesh, God alongside of them. We think, well, I'll never have that. Well, yes, we do. We have this. They didn't have the whole thing like we have, the whole book. They had part of it. We have the whole book. So we have all the examples of all of the disciples and all of the prophets and all of those that have gone before us. The whole shooting match. We've got the lot. We have the, the, uh, the hall of faith. All that you know are listed down there in the hall of faith. We've got the lot. And we have them for our examples. Brethren, we have the living word with us and we can still walk with him. After three years, we may still not understand fully and we may ask some silly things, but don't get dismayed. 
Jesus didn't uh, rebuke James and John then. He simply said, you know not what you ask. It's not for me to give. But your time will come and you'll stand, you know, I think he was sort of saying to them like, he, like uh, Daniel, at the end of Daniel. Daniel, go your way. At the end of the days, you'll stand in your lot. God has a lot for each one of us. God has a place for each one of us. It's just our job now just to walk with him. We don't have to worry about the future and the spot that we're going to have, whether, we, whether we're this side or that side of Jesus or way back the back, you know, miles back. In fact, that'll be a great spot to be, won't it? We don't have to be on the right hand and the left hand of him. But we know that he's walking with us now and he has a lot for us. He has a spot for us if we know him as our saviour now. And we can walk with him now. That's all we've got to do. Just walk with him. Just continue to walk with him. Continue to learn. Ask things. Ask questions. But when Jesus says no, don't lose your faith. When he says no, you can't have that. Don't quit. Don't throw up your arms and say it's all too hard. You didn't remove my mountain. You didn't remove my mother-in-law or my father-in-law that I can't stand, you know, when I asked you to. Your mountain can be anything. It's your mountain. It's your issue. God says, no, you've got to learn to live with it. I'll help you with that. (laughs) I'll help you with your mountain. But I won't necessarily remove it. (coughs) Oh, but you said you'd remove all my mountains. Yeah, you ask for my desires and I'll give them to you. Ask my desires. The Lord is good, folks. He's good to us. But we won't always understand him. We won't always understand his ways or why he's allowing this mountain in my life or this hindrance, this sickness, whatever it is. We won't always understand. But brethren, I urge you, don't. Be offended at Jesus. Well, maybe let's take it back. There will come offences in your life. There will come offences in my life. I was walking along the other day and it sort of just dawned on me that, you know, there's many times when we're just, we're simply offended at the name of Jesus. Now, I'm saying that as a saved man, been saved for 40 years There's times when I don't want to hear the name of Jesus. Now, why is that? I'm saved. I know I'm saved. But it catches me at times. And I realise how wicked my heart is. And, you know, and then I have to to sing again in my mind how sweet the name of Jesus sounds upon a believer's ear. Oh, I have to remind myself. I have to sort of catch myself. Because we quickly get offended. The disciples got offended. They said, and a few days later after this, after chapter 10 of Mark, they said to him, look, we won't be offended in you. We'll follow you to the death. He said, before this day's out, you'll offend me. You'll be offended in me. And Peter, you'll deny me three times. No, I won't do that, Lord. But he did, didn't he? Folks, you and I are going to do the same things. We're going to. We're going to. 
But I urge you, I encourage you, when you feel it coming, when you know it's there, the offence rises in you, you're offended at what Jesus has said, you can't understand it, I don't, want to, I don't want to accept it. I don't want to believe that. Well, catch yourself. Catch yourself and go back to the Scriptures and say, Lord, help me, help me. And I perhaps sort of give you a couple of you know, good prayers to pray, like the, like the man that had the boy with the demon in him. And, uh, and, and he implored Jesus to cast out the demon. And uh, can you do it, Lord? And the Lord said, if you believe, anything's possible. Lord, I believe, but help mine unbelief. You know, he knew that he had a little bit of faith, but he didn't have a lot of faith. He said, Lord, I believe, but help mine unbelief. Give me more faith. That's a good prayer to pray. That's a good prayer to pray. Pray prayers like that. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I want you to come with me in finishing to, uh, to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. I was amazed how many times I found the words amazed and afraid in the Bible. found them quite a few times in Luke as I'm reading on there. In, uh, in Luke, uh, oh, can't just see it now, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Oh, there it is, Luke uh, chapter 2 and verses 47. Go and read that later and you'll see amazed, afraid, astonished all there. But come back to Mark chapter 16 and we'll finish off here. So this is after they'd been offended, they'd, they'd ignored him at the cross, they ran away and only the women stayed by and watched the, the crucifixion take place. Peter, Peter got so uh, uh, ashamed of the Lord that he, he ran away, he denied the Lord three times and all the, all the disciples, it says, fled. But here after the resurrection and the disciples didn't even know it had happened and uh, in verse 6, verse 6, the, the women, verse 5, entering into the sepulchre they saw a young man sitting on the right side clothed in a long white garment and they were affrighted, afraid. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. See for yourself. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed, neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Amazed and afraid. They're often together. You'll see it as you read now. They're often together in the scriptures. The disciples still didn't believe. Look what it says to them in verse 14. And this is the Lord speaking to them. And this is the Lord, what the Lord will do to, for you and me when we're offended at him. And like I said, I believe we will be. It's just how we are. Human nature, human sinfulness, the fact that we're still in the flesh on this side of glory, we will be offended in the Lord. We'll be offended at each other. We'll offend each other even when we don't want to. But we will be offended in the Lord. The disciples were. They'd walked with him for three years. They were still offended in him. Even after they'd been amazed then afraid and then sort of trembled, you know. 
They'd seen all the miracles. They'd seen the big baskets of fish. They'd seen the lepers cleansed. They'd seen the blind man, etc., etc. For years, three years, they walked with Jesus. They'd seen it all. They'd seen the good times. When the bad times came, they were ashamed at him. Folks, you and I see some good times. We have some good years. We walk with the Lord. Then a crunch comes. Mountain in our way. Lord, remove this mountain. Get rid of it for me. And he doesn't. Lord, give me this mountain. And he doesn't. How do we react? Lord, I have a request. I have a desire. And don't say no. And he does. And then he allows us to go to the cross. Jamie and Liz, you've suffered some of this this year, last year. Praise the Lord for the way he's brought you through it, strengthening your faith through it. You're a good example to us. Look what it says in verse 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them, or he, he corrected them. Uh, and upbraided them with their unbelief, lack of faith, and hardness of heart. This is the disciples that had walked with Jesus for three years, had good times, seen great victories, and suddenly their hearts are hardened, are pulled up in a little ball. God, why has this all happened? How dare this happen? It should never have happened. We should have been standing or sitting at your right hand, on your left hand by now. Your glory should have been ushered in. The Romans kicked out of Israel. Everything should be hunky-dory. And he went to the cross. Why'd you do that? Shouldn't have done that. Folks, if he hadn't have done that, They couldn't have been saved. He had to go to the cross. He had to suffer. He had to bear their sins and yours and mine. He gently upbraided them for their unbelief, their hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Oh, folks, the Lord is good. He upbraided them, he rebuked them, and he'll rebuke us. When unbelief comes in our lives, when times of offence come where we're offended at God. They were offended at God for not doing it how they thought he should do it. Folks, those times come in our lives. How are we going to react? I urge you. I urge you, when you feel that unbelief well up in your heart, when you feel that rebellion and that sort of, that, uh, that just that hardness come in and you're offended at God for what he's doing, I urge you, take a lesson from the disciples. Grasp what he did to them, how he helped them 
And then he sent them off into the world. Go ye into the world and preach the gospel. And they did. And they died for him. We don't know what's going to come in 2018. We might be called to die for him. Folks, we need to be ready for that. Prepared for that, even if he says that's what your lot is. Remember John? John in prison? John sent his disciples to Jesus and said, are you the one or do we look for another? John got to a point of offence. Why am I in prison? What's all this about? I thought you were the one. You could have at least visited me. Jesus never visited John in prison. He just left him there and let him be be, uh, decapitated for his faith. Jesus, are you really the one? John knew he was the one. John knew he was the saviour. He'd been the forerunner. He was his cousin in the flesh. He'd said, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And then here he is in prison in a hard time after he'd done the will of God. And and why is this all happening? Are you really the one? Obviously it didn't work out the way John thought it ought to work out. Are you really the one? John, don't be offended in me. You don't understand it, but just hang on. Strengthen the things which remain. Hang on. Hang on. Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. Folks, this year, when offences come in our lives, when we feel offended at the Lord for what he's allowed, grab a hold and keep looking under him. And then let him strengthen you again and go on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Thank you that it's fresh and new to us every every day. And Lord, help us to just go on in this new year and walk with you afresh. Lord, help us when the fences come to again reaffirm our faith in you and to walk with you no matter what happens. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Paul.